Welcome to Ribbon Sight Class. I'm Adam Robbings. And today we've got a fun discussion for you. We are sitting down with the co-founders of Ballad Football Club. So Ballad, Ballad FC is a USL2 team that was founded last year in 2022. It played its inaugural game. USL2 is the fourth tier of US professional soccer. So you've got MLS at the top and you've got USL2 at the, uh, the lowest tier. USL2 has a very short season and a lot of the players are playing on kind of their summer uh, vacations from, from the university system. So the, the season starts in May and runs through, through August. The two, two co-founders we're going to speak to today are Sam Zizette and Lamar Neagle. Both of them are ex-professional players themselves. Lamar is really well known in the Seattle area, having played for the Seattle Sounders for a number of years. I first met Sam almost two years ago when Ballad FC was a concept. And um, obviously being from London originally, I, I love uh, football uh, or soccer, if we want to call it that. So the opportunity to be involved with the start of a club is one that I personally loved because I love soccer, football, and um, also because of what it could bring to the community. Like Grace and I started the brewery because we could walk to, to where it physically was. It was, we lived here, we uh, the kids went to school here and, and, and now we work here. And so to be able to bring a club, a, a football club, the community was something that we really wanted to be involved in. And so from being involved from the ideation stage to it, the, actually the first game was quite an amazing experience for us, like as bystanders. And we, um, you know, we were the, we're the title sponsors of, of Ballad FC. So it was really fun to play a small part in the growth of the club and the um, you know making it a reality. The community element is what we're going to talk about today. So how do you take the idea of what a club could be, and how does it? What does community mean in that concept? And how do you grow community? And how can you give back to your community? There's a lot of parallels between beer and football in this in this case. So it's a it's a fun topic to talk about, important topic to talk about uh, in the context, especially of of Ballad FC going into their second season. So without further ado, let's head out to the, uh, the recording and speak with Sam and Lamar. Hi, Lamar Nagel, co-founder of Ballard FC, former Seattle Sounder, player from Federal Way. Um, yeah, that's me. I'm Sam Zazette, co-founder of Ballard FC. I'm from Seattle, did not play for the Sounders but met Close. Lamar playing for the Tacoma Stars indoor soccer. <laughs> cool. Well, no, thanks. Thanks for coming today. I'm excited to talk about community and, and football, soccer. I'm going to say football all the time because I just can't otherwise, can't get out of it, right? I was, I was grew up with that. So for both of you, what does uh, community mean to you in the context of soccer? To me, I, I think of the, um, I go, you know, first go to my childhood of growing up in Seattle and, um, you know, playing on, on teams with friends and high school and club teams where I was building community with my teammates, uh, but then also going, growing up, going to Sounders games. Uh, you know, my dad would take me to games when they were at Memorial Stadium. Uh, we would go to CenturyLink Field when it was just a, a quarter of the stadium that would be filled. And I, I felt like I understood a bit more about community by going to matches, you know, the Sounders matches and, and, and seeing how the Seattle community rallied around the Sounders. Um, so that's kind of my, kind of how, how my upbringing really 
kind of showed me what community and football was all about bringing it together but then starting ballot fc really seeing what we can do at, a, at kind of a hyper local level in our community here was was pretty exciting yeah for me when i when i solely just think about community i think two things come to mind one is the feeling you have of a belonging and a shared interest um, that is created and also uh, also have to say around my childhood the community and the support that i had um, was really evident when it came to soccer. I had some some hard times in, through youth soccer, and a big part of the reason why I was able to continue and play for teams and had support was because of the community that was created through soccer. So uh, always kind of carried that with me, and also I feel like when I turned, when I became a professional, ended up, wanting to give back because I felt like the community gave me so much. So that was a big driver for me to do um, things in the community and nonprofits. And uh, that all really bled into what Ballard FC became. Yeah. So, so for you, Lamar was community more around the community of players and like the internal side of community of, of, of football. And like, cause it sounds like for you, Sam, it was more the fans maybe, or more the, the fan of the team maybe yeah mine was mine was definitely my experience playing so for me growing up my family had nothing to do with soccer and so the only time I experienced soccer was through my small circle I was a ball boy for the Sounders uh, went to Seattle Sea Dogs games that sort of thing but those were all kind of one-offs and those were based around that internal circle so when I thought of community that's that's exactly what it was we obviously talk a lot about community and beer because for us beer creates community by creating an opportunity to connect right creates a creates a um an experience opportunity right and um that giving back piece is important for us as well like one of the first things we did was start a weekly uh charitable program at the at the brewery and i know that's a big part for ballad fc as well maybe you just want to talk a little bit about some programs that you've been doing since starting yeah um i think right off the bat when starting ballad fc we knew that soccer was more of a of a medium to celebrate community and while the quality of play on the field and you know the players and the and you know the tactics are all important to a lot of people uh the most important part about ballot fc is how we engage and, and ultimately give back to the community um and so it's been really rewarding you know seeing that come together and what we can do through both partnerships, but also with our own internal programming. So last year, a really, um, a really awesome partnership we built was with the Ballard Food Bank. Um, and with, you know, using our platform with our, our, our players, our fans and our resources to help, you know, fight food insecurity and having a match where we, you know, encouraged our fans to donate food and hygiene products and collected over 200 pounds of uh, of, of product through that match was, was really rewarding. Seeing all 30 of our players and 10 of our staff members volunteering for a few hours at the food bank was amazing. Um, and so we've, we've added to that this year and been doing more, but we see that like that part of the club is, is so important and equally, if not even more important than what actually happens on the field on a game day. Yeah. And then the foundation, you know, that was obviously a big, big part. Thinking back, like what was your first, what's your first memory of soccer? 
Right. And was community part of that or was it not? And I, I can tell you a few things I remember <laughs> when I was young. I remember being on the stands at Tottenham when it was all standing and people just peeing behind you. And it's like, geez, get out of the way of that. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like really, really bad. Or I remember when Maradona's hand of God took England out of the World Cup. And I remember I was only like 12 and people bringing in the papers and us being totally, totally frustrated and how hard done by we were. Um, but like those two things were like, like, I won't never, I'll never forget either of those. <laughs> what, about, yeah. what about you? What about you? For me, earliest, um, like experiences were soccer. Like I said, my family wasn't, my dad's from the South. It was football, basketball, baseball. Um, my mom's family is, uh, heavily Irish, but it still um, didn't really translate to me watching games or anything like that. So if I hadn't have grown up in the neighborhood that I did, I wouldn't have played soccer. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood of Federway where the kids at my school that happened to be in my age all happened to be on the same premier like select club team. And so every day at recess, that's what everybody did. And so that's how I started. And those are the guys that I, were my friends. And so that's how I really started into it. And then once that became like a mainstay, again, in my household, we weren't watching soccer, we were watching basketball. Um, dad had season tickets to the Sonics. But the experiences that I did have with um, the Sounders, I remember being a ball boy at Memorial Stadium. I remember getting a ball behind the Sounders bench and trying to throw it over the bench. And I hit one of the sounders in the back. <laughs> and I just remember running off to the side, like, I'm not going to be over here. You got to switch me. And I remember um, uh, chasing the mascot around and getting uh, signed jerseys from them. I don't think the community side really hit when it came to a bigger scale and bigger picture until I was really uh, playing PDL um, in my PDL team. It just seemed the environment that they created was all about the community. It was like a, a fair at every single game. It was really a community event that just happened to be based around uh, a soccer team. And then when I came to the Sounders in 2009, the feeling and the culture that they created was really family-based, community-based. And um, that stuck with me, obviously, throughout kind of the rest of my career. Yeah, most of my memories, like earliest memories of soccer were really playing and really based around uh, playing and, and learning the game through and with my dad. But my dad wasn't a soccer player. He was a football player um, from the Midwest. And um, soccer was, was pretty new to him. But he had kind of learned the game through my two older sisters and coaching them. And he was my, my first coach. So he coached my rec team from the age of from four to 12. And I, yeah, so he was my coach for, for all those years. And um, he continued coaching my rec team even after when I moved on to play select soccer until they were 18. So he coached the same team for 14 years, even when I wasn't on it anymore. And so much of my childhood was, you know, kicking the ball around the house, probably breaking things, you know, in the basement, just like kicking balls at the wall, going in the backyard. And so like, when I think of soccer and, and how that was part of my childhood, it was really about playing and, and that relationship with my dad and, and, uh, and, you know, playing with him. I can remember going to games as well, Sounders games and UW soccer games. And, but really I think it's like, was the connection of playing the game and, and learning so much through playing the game about how to be a good teammate and how to be a leader and how to, you know, overcome adversity and, 
you know, handle the difficulties of being cut or doing well. And just, I learned so much about myself and about life through soccer that that was kind of why it stuck with me and became so important for me to, to continue playing as far as I can. And then, you know, eventually starting a, a soccer club. Yeah. So, so yeah. So starting a, a club and so maybe explain why Ballard of, well, I went to Ballard high school. Um, so I grew up in, in Wallingford, uh, but went to Ballard high school and, you know, while in high school, but also after school really felt a lot more connected to the community in the neighborhood and felt that there is a sense of pride in the neighborhood in the same way that we all feel this sense of pride in Seattle. Um, you know, I'm a big Sounders fan. I'm a big Seattle sports fan. So Sounders, Kraken, Rain, Storm, like all of it. I, I want to I see Seattle win all the time. Um, and, but I, growing, you know, to Ballard High School and then, you know, being part of the Ballard community after high school when I would come back for college or even after college, really got the sense that Ballard has that same sense of pride in the community, but just doesn't have a medium to celebrate it yet. Mm. And that's where the idea of Ballard FC came was that, you know, while Ballard doesn't have a, you know, the population to support an MLS team, it certainly has the pride of place to support a team in general. And, um, you know, got with Lamar, who uh, we were playing together at the Tacoma Stars and um, pitched him the crazy idea. And we just went from there. Yeah. And I think uh, for me, obviously, I'm, I'm from the South End, not from Ballard, uh, but Sam did bring this idea uh, of a a team in this space that could develop players. I know immediately it would have been something that I would have enjoyed as a player. I wanted to come home during the summers, but ended up going across the country to play on a team like this. So if I could create that in this area, I knew that with the talent that we have, it would be a, a really high quality team. So how do we do that? And how do we create a professional environment in a you know semi-professional uh, business? I know that I knew that in order to make something like this work and and have a really strong like presence, you do need the pride of the team has to be strong, right? You have to have people that are passionate, um, so it wouldn't work a lot of places. Um, and when Sam. I mean, his first thought was Ballard because he's from there. And immediately I was like, if there's a, a sense of pride that any any place has in Seattle, in Seattle has, Ballard is is that place. And so I knew it could work. I think I didn't expect it to blow up as big as it did in the, in the very first year. Um, so that was a, a pleasant surprise. But um, that's kind of how I was, I was introduced to it. I think there's also just something like, particularly for, for, you know, folks from around here who follow soccer globally, they know that, you know, even it's now even getting more, you know, uh, mainstream with the stories like Wrexham, you know, and like even stories like Ted Lasso and how, you know, communities support football all over the world. And Chris, our, our third co-founder always likes to say that if, if the U.S. was like the rest of the world, Ballard would have had a team 100 years ago that the commercial fishermen would have started yeah, yeah. and then it would have been passed along in traditions and generations of families would have passed along the fan, you know, fandom down to their kids and, and, it, and it would have already existed. But, 
you know, the U.S. has a different relationship with sports and we've, we've, you know, we have a different system in place. And so, you know, I think that, you know, all the, all of the prerequisites were there for Ballard to have its own team. It just needed, you know, the rest of the component parts to, to make it happen. And it's been a pretty awesome journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we first met, it was just an idea with on some PowerPoint slides, right? And, um, obviously it's come a long way since, since then, but what do you, what do you think makes it real? You know, how, how does it, how does it go from when we first met, which was just a concept to, to, to now, like what, what are the key reality kind of checks? I have two things that like immediately come go to ahead. my head. I'll yeah. start with. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. First one is the roar of the crowd from a goal. So I can still remember vividly two goals in particular, the first goal that was ever scored. Uh, and then actually, yeah, yeah. Funny, funny enough, the last goal that w had been scored at Interbase Stadium. So the first goal was, was Declan McGlynn, free uh, kick yep. outside of the box. Yep. And I can just remember that feeling of when the, you know, it was a free kick. So there's some anticipation yeah, being created. Yeah. And, and when you saw the ball hit the net and, and turn and see the crowd erupt the way it did, I think that's when things really hit me, at least personally, of like, wow. This is real. There are 1,500 people here, yeah. and the energy now in this stadium is wild. And then the last goal of the season, which was a, a bicycle kick overtime goal scored by Alex Mejia that we all yeah. know and yeah. remember well, um, that was a surreal moment. So I think goals are something that bring it together. But then the other part for me that I thought was really special and it sets us a bit different from, from other Seattle sports teams is what happens after the game in the, uh, you know, right near the entry and exit where all of our players mm. come out of yep. the locker room and, you know, sit behind tables and sign autographs and to see the looks on the kids' faces when the players who were just out there on the field are talking to them, signing an autograph, taking a picture, that was something that made it feel really real to me. Like that it's not just about what's happening on the field, but you see kids who are so excited and passionate to get to like actually have that moment with a player that, you know, doesn't happen at, at really any other level of sport here. Um, yeah. So those are the first two that just like immediately pop yeah. in my head. Yeah. I mean, I have to completely agree with you on that one. A couple more moments. I think that I, well, one moment that I won't forget is the morning before we, the morning we announced of, I remember talking to Sam afterwards of like the night before I was like, what if just nobody cares? <laughs> like we announce and we're like Seattle Times and like a big push and there is zero response. Um, and then obviously the response was absolutely amazing. So just that feeling of like relief and then almost like, all right, like this is, this is really real. What do we do now? Because this is bigger than we thought it was going to be. The weight of responsibility we felt that day was, Immediately. was really immense. Yeah which is always a good thing, right? That type of pressure that you have, that's what we, we wanted. But I really, when me and Sam first started talking, I thought it was literally gonna be me and Sam going to a field and like laying out jerseys for players <laughs> on like some Sunday pitch. Um, Mark, you and were then supposed to be the one up. packing up yeah. all of our merchandise. <laughs> yeah. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. That was the I plan. Was, well, <laughs> but the plan was to have my wife doing it and she didn't, I don't even think she knew about the team yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's that and then, um, like I said, this would have been a team that I would have loved to be a part of. Um, so just uh, seeing the guys in the locker room, seeing them on the field at like trainings and seeing them 
kind of living the parts of soccer that I miss the most, which are the trainings and being around the guys and creating re the relationships. Um, I think that's uh, one of the coolest parts. And then hopefully, you know, we see some of these guys move on to, yeah. to do amazing things on the field and hopefully in the community um, yeah. as well. I should also say that Lamar dusted off the cleats and put them on at training the other day. He was yeah. at there on Monday for the first day of preseason. Oh, cool. 21 again. <laughs> <laughs> I felt 21 for about five minutes. <laughs> and I didn't get injured. That was the goal. <laughs> that is always yeah. the goal. Actually, um, Alex Mejia is that bicycle kick. That got into some British tabloid websites. And so my friends from the UK were sending me texts. <laughs> yeah. It was on the like, sun. Yeah, I it was on the that. sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, wow, this is that's a real small world, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. If, um, yeah. So uh, for for me, it became real that night. Um, the uh, the course, well, it wasn't the announcement day, but we had launch that party, party. Yeah. the launch party, right? Because it went from an idea to having hundreds of people like kind of excited about it, right? Um, and so that to me was like the first, also the the first time like a community kind of started forming around the concept, right? It was more than it was an idea, it was becoming real, it was becoming um, bringing people together around a aligned kind of concept. How did you do that? You know, like, so we talked about when it first felt real, but there's a lot between that PowerPoint slide to like reality, right? So, um, you know, what, what, what did you do? What maybe would you have done differently? Or, or, or what would you not change for the world like in that process? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think uh, w one of the biggest things I think was really the process when we look back, it, it happened pretty quickly. But I think Sam and I did take a lot of time to really find our direction before really going out. We were really defining what we wanted this to look like. And there, um, we, the people that we ended up bringing in align with that vision and weren't trying to make it something of their own. It was really uh, every time we brought somebody in, I kept saying this, it was like, nobody's saying no to us. Nobody's telling us that we're doing something wrong. Everybody's saying, no, this is a great idea, but what if we make it even bigger? And I think that was a big uh, sticking point for me. So I don't know what I would have done differently. I would have told my wife sooner, probably. That's, <laughs> that's the one thing I would have done. But other, but I mean, otherwise, like, um, I don't know what what we could have done differently to to make it even bigger or better or things that we messed up on. Yeah, I think the thing that we really thought about a lot on and and got right was building credibility quickly, and that's I think was the hardest thing to do um, because I think. You know, you have these days. You have like thirty seconds to get somebody with with a new idea and and bring them, you know, help them understand the purpose and why, and then feel like it's something worth their time and energy and potentially their dollars. Um, and so we thought a lot, a lot about how do we build credibility. And actually, it's the partnership with Rubens that I think might be one of the biggest parts of that because there's an in immediate association when somebody knows that Ballard FC and Rubens are partnered that with what it's like to be at the tap room, having a craft beer from Rubens. And like, that's the feeling of being at a Ballard FC game as well. It's community, it's local, it's, it's very Ballard. Um, and like just showing that Rubens is on the front of the shirt, builds some credibility without having to actually do or say anything, which was, which was impactful. 
the Seattle Times article was also, I think, a huge uh, credibility factor because the Seattle Times is a credible news agency with incredible writers and a big following and readership. And so to have the Times write about it and have it be their marquee sports story of the day was that credibility factor that I think a lot of folks were like, whoa, well, if the Times is writing about it and I'm reading it, you know, on their paper or on their website, you know, that's, that means it's, it's worth something and it's worth reading and, and getting into, which is a lot more impact, impactful, I think, than a friend telling you about it or scrolling past it on social media. Right. So, um, I think those were two big credibility factors that we, uh, that we were able to get right. You know, I guess thinking through some things that we could have done differently. Well, we definitely could have had more merchandise inventory available we really didn't like we really didn't get it when it came to how many scarves we would need or these different things and also putting together a plan for how we would properly package and ship them because those nights oh, yeah. staying up yeah. till midnight packing and shipping merchandise were you still long. remember those <laughs> oh i remember them like they were yesterday <laughs> those were long nights uh yeah. and you know i still had a, a a day job back then too and so i think we could have maybe been a bit better about i mean it's, it's yeah, i say but, that now but yeah. hindsight's 2020 but yeah. like we we certainly weren't prepared for the response and so i think we were being a little bit safe with that and we were we kept telling ourselves it wouldn't be that big it wouldn't be yeah huge because i think we were protecting ourselves a little bit from the you know in case it hadn't caught on we didn't want to get yeah. super excited about yeah. 500 season ticket holders potentially happening and then maybe only sell 50. so we were setting our expectations really low but maybe in retrospect well, actually we, being more optimistic or having higher expectations would have set us up for yeah you know i guess you're, you're right i just talked about us me thinking we were going to be going to a field and I was going to be laying jerseys out. <laughs> but like with the information that we had at the time, there was no way to tell that this would be, you know, we'd get 500 season ticket holders in a few hours. Yeah. Right. Like the, that model wasn't out there. We hadn't seen anything happen like that before. So yeah, hindsight, we can say we could have been prepared for, you know, a thousand season ticket holders or the jersey's already ready to go, you know, the day we announced. But like with the information we had at the time, there was no way for us to know. I think, you know, we did a good job. Granted, I didn't, I wasn't up at midnight packing scarves in, so I can say that. But It was temporary. <laughs> it was only temporary. Yeah. You know, one other thing I think is, um, and I, I talk to club owners all over the country who, who run clubs at this level. And the biggest challenge that every club at this level runs into consistently across the board is facilities infrastructure and having a stadium that is both you know at the standards you want it to be but also consistent reliable and affordable and we definitely did the work to make sure we had interbay stadium locked in um but i think in retrospect working really hard prior to the season for a longer term lease or something that would have you know i think that would have been beneficial because going back to the drawing board every year is a challenge and that's really getting into the, the nitty gritty of it. But stadium infrastructure is definitely the biggest challenge world or nationwide for state, you know, for, for teams at this level. And so I think we could have thought through that a little bit more then we're still all good now and it's working out, yeah. but it's just been a little bit more work now to manage. Whereas if we had kind of put that time in years ago, 
and built out that relationship earlier, it might have been a little bit simpler for us. But it's a little chicken and egg as well in that that case, right? Because if yeah. you don't have a concept that's proven, it's hard to get a commitment on the other side. So it's um, it's it's hard. One thing I would say, so like you mentioned about the Seattle Times, like when we opened eleven years ago, I had there was a lot more traditional media around. So there was uh, like a ballad local paper for I forgot. Um, well, I forgot what it was called now, but um, you know, for example, it was printed and you could, it was everywhere, right? Now there's that doesn't exist, and so many things don't exist, right? That that did even just eleven years ago, right? So I think you also did a great job of how to connect with people, like virtually, right, through social and other kind of forums. Yeah. I think that that to me was how you go from zero to sixty as quick as you did, you know. Well, what's yeah. interesting about that is um, I have no prior social media experience. Lamar has a little bit, but really a lot of our social media was driven by my wife and her experience with running social media for both her business, but also companies that she's worked for in the past. And I think that speaks to a lot of how our club was actually like founded, which was leaning heavily on family and friends really early on when we did our brand, you know, design, we were putting out surveys to a group of family and friends for every iteration of the logo. Yeah. And we were really heavily sure. leaning on feedback from our family friends, but also work from our, from our close people. And like our whole Instagram presence, I attribute to, to my wife and her experience and, and kind of putting out, actually designing our first ever, you know, group of posts and the grid and things like that. And so Things have changed now, but definitely at the start, we were we were really a community of, you know, our friends and family all contributing a little bit in different ways. Yeah, and that you're you're right, Adam. I mean, that presence that we ended up having on social media did like afford us a certain like almost persona already out of the gates before we even kicked a ball. Mm. Right, a lot of people going to those pages like it looked like a professional page. People were asking me like. Who's doing? Yeah, who's doing your content? I was like, Sam's doing our, <laughs> Sam's doing our content, and he doesn't even have a an Instagram page on his own. But, I was uh, googling yeah, Instagram yeah. captions, or I would go to other soccer teams, and I would just like save posts that I was like, okay, that makes sense. That's something we could kind of draw from in the future. Yeah, and uh, it was definitely a challenge at first, though. Yeah, he has trouble uh, taking credit. I was talking to him today. He has trouble <laughs> taking credit for how good our our social media uh, really is because that's really like a lifeblood thing that we we had, especially at the beginning and even through. You know, that's how a lot of people connect with us that that can't be at yeah. games and and so it, it's very important. And he's done a great job. Totally. From a startup, you do everything right. Like you do everything. So like you had to figure out how to do these posts. You probably had to figure out how to do the website. You had to do everything right. My my favorite one was somebody called Grace and said. Um, can you can you um, tell your IT department to do this? And, yeah. and I was the IT department, yeah. right? And I had no idea. I had to do exactly the same thing. I had to do some technical things. So like that happens all the time. But um, but it's just part of starting, right? That nobody, it's not really talked about that much, you know. That how you have to be the jack of all trades to get something off the ground. So like I can relate very, yeah. relate very no, much. To I love that. I love that question because we get. I take all of our customer inbound emails and oftentimes there'll be subject line like for the marketing department or yeah. <laughs> for the sponsorship department or just different 
Um, <laughs> so, so kind of, kind of, kind of on maybe linking into the social piece. Um, the 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 season itself is really short, like three three months, just under just under three months. Like, I, well, ideally, it's just under three months because that meant you, means we get to the finals, right? Um, so, how do you exist for twelve months, like in in the in the psyche of the of of ballad, right? Yeah, good. Well, Good question. That is a good question. <laughs> We're still learning that. We we only have one real go of it this yeah. last off season. Yeah. Um, we tried a ton of different stuff in these last this last nine months of the off season. I'm really happy to say that finally we're back in the season yeah. officially as of the week now that we're recording yeah. this. Um, preseason. Preseason. We're into the pre. You got it. That's right. Um, but we we did a lot. We tried a lot of stuff, and most things worked. Some things really didn't. Um, you know, we thought about the fall in kind of like two major things, recapping the season and kind of, you know, continuing to like tell different stories of what had happened in, in the summer. Um, but we also tried to like keep our fans engaged with our players and what they're doing in their college fall seasons. Mm. So we had multiple um, local you know, Ballard FC nights at Seattle University and Seattle Pacific University for our fans to come out and watch those players. Uh, we really rallied around the World Cup, which was a lot of fun. And, you know, we'll have the Women's World Cup now this summer, which mm -hmm. is a little bit trickier for timing for us because it's during our, our playoff, oh, yeah. hopeful playoff run <laughs> uh, coming up here. But having the World Cup in November was actually kind of it sucked for a lot of reasons, but it was a bit of a blessing for us mm. uh, being able to host watch parties here, um, but also host a uh, adult soccer tournament, a 3v3 tournament. So kind of a mix of events, you know, different social media engaging type of posts and content, um, trying to continue to tell our player stories. And then eventually it shifted into previewing the next season. Yeah. So announcing players and both returning players, new players on a rolling basis, changes to the game day environment, new sponsors and partners, new activations. So it kind of like for the first half of the off season was about recapping and, and events and fun activations and then transitioning that into getting pumped and prepped for the next season. So, um, so okay, so that's a great, a great segue. Like, how is the new season looking? Like, what? That, maybe just explain your thoughts. And uh, you played, you practiced with the squad on Monday. So yeah, <laughs> practiced with the squad on Monday. It was a limited amount of people. Still got a bunch of guys oh, yeah. coming yeah. in. So <clears throat> for me, that was probably good. <laughs> Didn't have everybody to contend with. Uh, it was about twelve guys that were training. But I'm, I'm excited. Um, obviously, not only getting on the field, which is always is fun for me now but um the amount of quality that we have on the field the leadership that we have uh knowing that we have one year under our belts and we have guys who you know go back to their colleges and tell their uh teammates about the experience that they had how professional it is here um so then that kind of persona growing throughout the country um is pretty exciting but i think uh, with with the success that we had last year, you know, knock on wood, all that stuff. Uh, but to start to grow that is uh, is really cool, and to see it come to fruition, you know, we thought that would always be the case that it would, you know, continue to grow, and you know, we would we would do better than we did the year before. But to start to see the guys actually coming in and starting to train, and to see the quality, um, it, that's exciting for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was 
it was really awesome to see the players out in the field again, training again. Uh, from a roster standpoint on the field, I'm really, really amped up about this year's team. We obviously had a great team last year, um, but for this year to have half of the roster, you know, back, that's rare at this level. Yeah. Most teams at this level are, you know, maybe 10, 15 or 20 percent of the same roster year over year, but players move on. They yeah. find other teams at this level, they graduate, they go pro. And we had the majority of the players that couldn't come back or didn't come back to us uh, this year are off to bigger and better things for their, their professional soccer careers, which oh, cool. is really awesome yeah. and we're proud of. Um, but so to have 50% of the roster back, we're really amped up about. And then the other 50% of these new players, we, we you know, we had a lot longer and now that we had an established brand, it actually made recruiting a lot easier and we had a lot more options to find new players. And there's some players in particular um, that are going to be really exciting come uh, May 18th, cool. the first match that I think people are going to be really excited to see. But yeah, being able to balance this returning roster with with a new group of players that are bring a whole different element to the field is going to be great. And then from the off-field side, like the fan development side, you know, there's always a, a nervousness around will the first year going into the second year, like will the energy fade? Will people move on? Will they find something else to capture their attention? But it's been really, really rewarding to see it actually grow. Um, the interest has grown. There's, you know, more tickets sold as of today than there was this time last year. So that feels really good. We all obviously need to deliver on another good season when it comes to the game day environment, the entertainment factor, um, halftime so show. The halftime half show. show. <laughs> Too bad we don't have Chris here. Yeah, he, yeah. Would, he would talk about it. But you know, we want to make sure like pe people have a really good experience from the moment they buy a ticket to when they leave the stadium. And so, you know, we still have to deliver on that promise. Um, but we feel really confident that it's going to be a really good season from that perspective. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah, great. after having one season under the belt, right? That initial season on game days, it was like, what is going to pop up and. Obviously, I'm sure we haven't seen everything that could possibly happen at a game, but to have some experience and to have some people coming back yeah. that that know the facility and um, you know we can we can kind of anticipate a lot of stuff that's going on. So, how do you manage a a club where most of your players are new every year? Right, that's kind of and like you said, like apart from Nottingham Forest, Nottingham Forest did it pretty well, didn't they? Like 15 new players or what? <laughs> You yeah, say that pretty, about, pretty well. I wasn't you say that about Chelsea too, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, so you've done it better than them. That's, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I think, for me, um, uh, focusing on culture, focusing on the game day, um, uh, like the game day aspects, making it a community event are the biggest thing and and the biggest draw. I think we're able to pull players because of that so i think and this area a reason why we jumped into this was because there was a need for it like i said there's tons of talented players that are from here that go all over the country to play and that's i mean since i was little since before even me i have i ended up being the benefactor of a bunch of coaches in the area that stayed here and they were talented uh, Wade Weber, Darren Sawatsky, Ralph Black, those were all my youth coach, uh, youth coaches. Um, just the talent that we had here was absolutely amazing. And I think that will always continue because this 
northwest part of the country that we have is uh you know huge into soccer and so i think we'll always have the talent to draw from if we create the culture and we do um we have great game day um just structure and the event is family based i think we'll always have the crowd and players want to play in front of that i mean even uh seattle sounders when they started right they were playing on turf which everybody hated all the players hated but everybody wanted to play here because of the culture and because of how many fans they got so if we can you know kind of create culture like i said and um i think the the talent will come will kind of come to us yeah i would just add that when looking at how we build rosters you know we're looking obviously at positions first and trying to make sure we have top players at every position and positional depth, but we're also really looking at age. Um, and we don't, the easiest way to build a roster that could be consistent over three, four, five, six years would be to build a roster of all 18 year olds, right? Because they're going into their freshman year of college. And in theory, they could come back between their freshman and sophomore, sophomore, junior, junior, senior, and potentially even after they play. So we could build a roster today of all 18 year olds. And that could maybe be a very similar or the same roster we could have in three, four years. But the problem with that is then that team today doesn't have the, you know, experience that we would also want. So it's kind of balancing. Can we have some 17, 18, 19 year old players who could be around for two, three years before they're playing for the Sounders or abroad or doing whatever else they're doing, but also adding in those 21, 22, 23 year olds who have some more experience, um, some more wisdom and, and athletically have, have developed a little bit more. So that's what, how we kind of built the roster last year. You know, one player that I think about with that is, uh, is, uh, Leo Bernie, right? So he was in his freshman year of college last year and before he came to Ballard FC and he was a, you know, first team, all Ivy league defender, former Sounders Academy defender. Right. And now he's just finished his sophomore year of college and playing for Ballard FC. We think unless he signs professional, he should be back next year, right? And then potentially, if he hasn't signed professional, he could be back for a fourth year. So we could have a center back with us for four years, which is, you know, and then before he, you know, goes on to play professionally, that that's fantastic for us, right? But it was also important to have a different center back last year, Angelo, who was 22, or he might have even been 23 last year, so that it's not all just those 18, 19 year olds that we can think about for the longer term, but making sure we're balancing that with some older, more savvy veteran players as well. The, the way you described it to me, it's about creating an environment that the players want to come to, right? That 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 is a level above that's professional and that they can get good exposure. And, that's the most important and, thing. And that's, that's, that then creates, that's kind of the goal, right? And then that will be self-perpetuating. Like, you, you can't, but, but the other thing I would say is, like, when I look at U.S. sports, so, like, like any, any, most, most U.S. sports are done on, like, these strange contracts. It's not like football in the U.K. where you're, like, a player, like, Harry Kane can play for the same team for 12 years, right? Here, does that even ever, ever happen? Because... The contracts are short and then they'll be turned over or they'll get sort of waivers or whatever, you know. Yeah, rare, rarely. Yeah. Very rarely. I think it's it's probably getting uh more towards that, but it's it's a far it's a far way off. I mean, our contracts, the the contracts I signed, I could be moved without even letting me know. Really? To another team. My contract was with the MLS. It wasn't with yeah. a certain team. 
And so within the MLS, somebody could just say, yeah, I'll take on that responsibility. And then that would be mm-hmm. kind of the, the end of it and was the end of it a few times for me. <laughs> so it's just, so it's kind of the same thing, right? Even though it's like a little bit more overt when there, if maybe, maybe a certain year at university, you know that there's a final, probably a final year that yeah. they could play or, um, but I think it's the same kind of issue, a very finite term for players in U.S. sport generally. That's, that's, what, that's my, my assessment of it, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I mean, you do see that in European soccer as well. A lot of like, I mean, you look at like the transfer fees and a player on a five, six-year contract and another club buying out that contract just to have them, you know, today for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases, right? But, but, but you don't have those as many like legacy The player has the choice here. on that. The player has that's a true. the player has a choice, and also the player has a possibility of getting paid out the contract. Yeah, anyway. That's right. So there's been players who have been on three different teams, and they're still getting contracts from the first team. Oh yeah. So it's it's very different yeah. than <laughs> MLS. I was envious of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. But it has been cool now going into year two. Jason, our head coach, says this all the time that our players are our best recruiters. So yeah. it was really rewarding to Lamar's point, to like actually have the players going to their colleges, telling their teammates about it. And then either those players or our players would say, hey, we have a couple players from our college team that would be really great for us. Can they come play for Ballot FC this summer, right? That, and two players from, from University of Pennsylvania are joining us because our two players from University of Pennsylvania recruited them, basically. And they're two really top players, you know, uh, Ben and Stas are joining us as well as Leo and Charlie. And they were recruited by essentially by our players saying, I had such a great time with Ballot FC. You should come play for us as well. Um, and so that's been really cool to have our players going out and doing that yeah. nationwide recruiting for us just <laughs> without us even asking. Right. Well, well, these these kids also have networks and they have social media. And so they see the fans that their teammates are playing in front of, they can easily go on and take a look at ours. And because of the way it looks and the work you've put in that, like it looks legit and it looks different than a lot of these other clubs. So who wouldn't want to, you know, come to Seattle for a summer in the sunshine and, and play in front of a crowd. Um, they, they get, I'm sure they get envious. That's yeah. why we've had <laughs> some guys move teams. That's sure. That's definitely a big yeah. difference for us is playing in front of a crowd too, right? That's something that players chase. You know, like once you have that experience of playing in front of thousands of people, you just want more of that because it's really special. Yeah, game changer. That that culture, like I said, that's why guys wanted to play in Seattle and would take pay cuts, or that's why a lot of guys ended up retiring here is because of the feeling that they got from the culture uh, that was created in this area and. If we can do that, then more to our benefit. Yeah, Lamar knows this way better than me, but I can just give a personal anecdote to this, which is that I had never really played in front of a crowd of more than, I don't know, two, three hundred people for like college games or other teams I was playing for. And eventually I was playing for this team called AFC Ann Arbor in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we would get crowds of eight, eight, nine hundred people. And it was fun. It was a good environment. But we would go play Detroit City FC. Uh, twice a year, which was in uh, Detroit City FC is now a USL championship club. So second division professional team. At the time, they were still a fourth division amateur team. Um, And they were drawing crowds of 8,000 people at their stadium. So I can remember going, and not only do they have an 8,000 person crowd, but they're known for having these 
really rabid, insane fans, like <laughs> insane. And it's in this stadium that's like a hundred years old and decrepit, breaking down, but they like make it this very Detroit fortress, very Detroit. <laughs> and we, we go and we play and the game gets started, but then there's so much smoke from these supporters that they actually had to pause the game for a few minutes to let the smoke <laughs> die down. I was playing right back and I was on the side of the supporters group. So I'm five feet away from this supporters group in this cloud of smoke. And I had never played in front of a crowd of more than, like I said, like 800 people or so. And it was really like insane experience for me. They were calling me all types of names. Oh. And I, the first ball that came to my foot, the field, I said it was a hundred year old stadium. Well, the turf was about like a hundred years old too. And they've replaced it since. But the first ball that came back to me, literally off the kickoff, hits a bump in the turf. I swear there was a bump in the <laughs> turf. Yeah. Yeah. It hits a bump in the turf and it rolls over my foot for a throw-in for Detroit <laughs> right in front of this group. And I didn't stop hearing the end of that oh, for the no. next 89 minutes. And uh, But playing in front of that, it's like ever since that game or you know, post after that game, I was chasing that. Yeah. that that high again right of like wow that you get done with that game and it's just it's so yeah it, it's it's an intense feeling that can't really be replicated with anything else and so i think our players to that point omar was saying they see the crowds they see the excitement they see how much the community cares about it and they want that right they yeah. it's so fun when you see the players hyping up the crowd yeah. you know lifting them up and trying to get that you know, excitement because that's what players want. They want us. They want to. You know, have that experience. So hard to hype um, up a crowd of two hundred people. Yeah, or or just parents out there. Um, and I had the. I mean, I had the same experience when I I ended up playing for the Des Moines Menace, and they would get, you know, two or three thousand to the games, and it was the same. I there was two of us my first year that I went um, during the summer, but then the next year there was five guys from my college because we were like, yeah. you gotta, if you want to go play for a club that's like legit, you're you got to play for this club. And so, yeah, if we can create that and have guys do the exact same thing, then yeah, we're going to be okay in the long run. So that smoky game, what was the score? Yeah. <laughs> okay. How did you do? <laughs> so we won that one. Ah, yes, good. We won three, one. However, we ended up playing Detroit city again in the, it was the regional final. So this was in the NPSL, which is a league similar to the USL two. Uh, just just a little bit different. And we we got all the way to the regional final and we played Detroit City FC again. And that time we we lost. Oh, so they beat us in the final at their place. But uh, yeah, both games were pretty, pretty incredible. Cool, cool. So yeah, one and one there against them. <laughs> yeah. It's a draw. That's a that's soccer, right? <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah. What are the aspirations for the club over the next five, ten years? Yeah, I would say um I think there's two different kind of pathways to think about, right? One is staying in USL two and trying to do it better than anybody else and building this club up within this network and this framework as well as we can, continuing to push on how much of a community impact we can have, how, you know, how much we can create a professional type playing environment for our players and really try and like set the bar for what a USL two team can be. Um, and try to push on that and continue. It's not about just maintaining or keeping us at the level. We can always grow in every aspect of, of the organization, but we can continue to do that within this framework. And if in 10 years we're still 
you know, at the top of USL two, knocking on doors, trying to win championships, but also having a bigger and better impact in the community. That's a huge aspiration for us to achieve. The other side of it is can, you know, the club, can we take the club up to a, a different level to be a, prof- a fully professional team? I definitely think that's possible. Um, there are a lot of barriers of entry to going into professional leagues when it comes to stadium infrastructure, finances. And so, you know, it doesn't feel immediately attainable, but I think that it's always good to have that aspiration and to do the research and the due diligence to see if that's possible. But for now, we're really just focused on being the best USL2 team we can be and setting up an infrastructure in a club that I eventually can take my my kids to one day. And, you know, kids who are coming to games this month can bring their kids in 15, 20 years. It's about setting up a club that can stand the test of time and continue to have that impact because Unfortunately, we do see a lot of clubs at this level for the last 15, 20 years come and go. And Lamar and I, when we first started talking about this, our first conversation was about how can we set up a club that doesn't just burn a bright light and fade, but that actually continues to make an impact for decades. And so that's really our focus right now, while at the same time keeping an eye on what would it take to to move up to a new league, you know, if that were ever to be an option for us. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good question. And because of the success we had in the first year, one that we've we've gotten before. Um, but I think whenever uh, Sam and I, Sam, Chris and I kind of speak about long-term stuff, it was like, you know, we started this because we wanted it to be a place that players could develop. That's especially why I came into this area was so that players could develop. And I'm uh, a very big believer in why you do something is a... a very strong and so the why you start a professional club is very different than why you start a club in the usl2 where you're developing players and so there's so many different aspects that would come into play if we ended up becoming a professional club so right now i know we can't keep saying this because we said this last year it was like um we we just started um we set out to create a goal of uh, development in this area. Um, so uh, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves with anything. Never say never. You know, we're, we've constantly, I think, kind of pushed the bar uh, in the space that we're in. So it is a possibility. But I think for right now, um, we're in a great space. And to be a leader in this space, I think, is something that, that we could do. And we could almost try to set a standard and just make it, uh, make the entire league better. And so for right now, I think we're in a good spot that can't ha- that we can't keep saying that forever. Um, but, uh, uh, we'll kind of cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. One thing I take a lot of pride in is that over the last nine, 10 months, we've had probably 10 to 12 different potential clubs reach out to us and ask us for advice. Um, some clubs that have announced and are now out there in the world and some that are still working on it and some people who are just interested in starting a club at some point and want to pick our brain and there is something really cool about like being seen as a leader in the space um, and being able to you know push the standards of how we treat players of how we create a fan-oriented club and a purpose-driven club at this level and if we can continue to be in that kind of space and you know have an impact on other clubs like that that's that's a really cool thing to do and something we want to focus on cool 
Well, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, no, thanks for thanks for being on. Cheers. Appreciate it. Cheers. So thanks again to Sam and Lamar for their time today. I think that was really, really fun to talk about. It's always nice to talk about things that are kind of parallel or adjacent to beer, and especially something that like I grew up on. It was a uh, was football from from some of my earliest childhood memories, and. Um, you know, creating something that's a reality and the foundation. We didn't really talk too much about the Ballard Foundation in the conversation, but there's a lot of great work to help the Ballard Football Club are doing to make training and make soccer accessible to more more people. Thanks again to Sam and Lamar, and also thank you to Eric from Quiet Curity Studios for this uh, production of this this show and uh, and the music that you heard at the intro and the exit music as well. And if you like the, this podcast, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and please, please spread the word. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>